get mine. <laughs> you blessed this morning? Are you blessed this morning? Amen. <laughs> We're going to preach about the blessed hope. We're going to preach about the blessed hope this morning. Praise the Lord. Father, give you glory. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles at John chapter 14, verse 3. But just in case you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the overhead. But that's only if you don't happen to have one. Otherwise, you've got to turn to your Bibles. You've got to turn to your Bibles. John chapter 14, verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 3. It says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. One more time. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Father, we thank you today, Lord, you want us to not just hear the word, but you definitely want us to hear it for sure. And I want to pray, God, that you will have in our spirit an open ear to hear what, what you're saying to us. Lord, we don't want to recognize these verses as being true because we're looking at the world. It's shaping toward it. We want to recognize these verses to be true because you declared it. Because the eternal God in the person and the body of Jesus spoke these words long before even we were born. We would know that as you speak a word into existence, it's true from the moment you speak it and from then on. Lord, I want to pray today that your word will get into our hearts. Father, that whatever it's supposed to mean to the hearer, God, if it's supposed to mean conviction, or it's supposed to be a stirring, or it's supposed to be this valid hope, or multiple things all at one time, we ask you, God, to satisfy your will for our lives and bring us where you want us. Corral us, as it were, through the Holy Spirit. Corral us in the direction you want us to go and in how you want us to believe. And we will give you the praise as you work in our lives to will and to do of your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He says, I will come again. I want you to capture that part of that verse. I, I would love for you to capture every part, but I just for the sake of this sermon, I want you to capture that Jesus said, I will come again. It was this absolute guarantee. It was a certainty that no matter what happened in the world around, no matter the exchanges, and, and as the world became grossly dark and dim, and as there's just more of this spread of evil as it happens, this would be the certainty that would never fade away. And we have to remember that, no matter where we, where we are in life. And I just wonder with my fellow brothers and sisters. I don't wonder with you, because you're here with us today. You're here, I do in some sense, but I don't completely, because... I, the reason is, is because we're here because we want to be satisfied by Jesus. Do I got an amen with that? I want Jesus in my life. Not only do I want Jesus in my life, but I can't contain how much I get of Him. Is there anybody there with me? Yep. Help the preacher this morning. I need you to help me out. Is there anybody that really feels that it's not, there's never a place in my spirit, in my soul, where I'm just satisfied with Jesus? Not this eternal God with His vastness, that can continually satisfy me and over-satisfy me every day of my life and go beyond this eternal body, this, this temporal body that will one day be eternal. And he says, I will come again. I think the disciples needed this because they were about to face, and remember when Jesus was saying this, just prior to his crucifixion. And so there was a sorrow that had filled the disciples' hearts and there was, but this was an announcement that kept being made throughout the Bible. Remember that. This coming again kept being reannounced over and over again. I'm going to tell you something. It's interesting because when we come to, uh, 
I don't like to call it Easter Sunday because Easter's Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Is there anybody out there with me? I like Resurrection Sunday. That's what my Sunday is all about. It's not about bunnies and Easter eggs, whatever, but it's about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And because of that, every time I come to that, that service, I spend a lot of time thinking about the resurrection. But I don't just think about what Jesus did, and I'm afraid that so many people stop thinking that Jesus was resurrected. That's why I get to be forgiven of my sin. That's why I get to mean what it, experience what it means to be born of God, regenerated from the inside out, being made a new person. And then when I become a Christian, I'm being sanctified and made holy every day of my life. And so I'm just being more and more ready for that blessed day of the Lord. But then we stop there. But I want you to think about what Paul was talking about. You know, the biggest message of the church was not the rapture. It was the resurrection. But I started putting a few things together and I started realizing the rapture happens because by the time of the resurrection, there'll still be a few people alive. There's going to be people alive at that time, Christians, faithful servants of God. So the resurrection is going to sweep up all the dead out of their graves and it's going to take those who are alive and remain. It's a resurrection for everybody, if you want to think of it like that. So there's going to be a select number of people that are going to be in the rapture. A catching away, as it were. There's going to be a select number of people but imagine if that were the hope of the church. That, then that would be the hope that you would live long enough to experience it, and then everybody who died missed out. But that's not how Paul says it. It's going to be the dead who get to see him first. And see, this is the thing we're like, and I think this is the other thing people struggle with, is when we think about it, we think about, well, the Spirit's already departed. We get eternal bliss in our spirit. What's the purpose for our body being conjoined back to our spirit being made an eternal body? See, what we, real, what we don't think about is, is that when you have a disembodied spirit, there's still things that the body can only bring pleasure, lasting pleasure, lasting fulfillment, as it is experienced in the body. And so God has decided in ways that we do not know yet and still remains a mystery to us, that the one day we will be reunited with the body that went down to the grave, but in a whole new way. Now, I want you to think about it. Because I don't hear too many sermons talked about it. I don't see a whole lot being said about it. But I want you to think about If this thing is really going to happen, my spirit's with God, but my body's going to come up and meet with my spirit. And I'm going to be joined with Him for eternity. So now I'm already with Him in eternity in my spirit, but this physical body's going to be made brand new. What is that going to look like? I don't have any idea. So he announced this at this crucifixion. And then he says, and I will receive you. This is referring both to the resurrection and the rapture. Synonymous terms with slightly different meanings. And I think I've, I hope that I've been able to clarify that this morning. They are synonymous terms, but slightly different meanings. For one, it's those who are dead, and for the others, those who are alive. But it's a resurrection in a sense. Everybody's going. Now, I also want to say this, because there's going to be certain portions of our time thinking about uh, whatever is going to happen in the end times. And we're talking, Jesus is talking about the righteous dead. Not the unrighteous, not at this moment. There's not, this isn't the resurrection. That He's not coming to get the unrighteous and take them home. The unholy dead are not going in this one. There's a separate one for them. As far as we know, there's a separate one for them. We do know this that Jesus said. There will be a resurrection for the just and the unjust. I'll get into that here in a little bit. The purpose... Let not your heart be troubled. I love that Jesus does this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He knows what they're going to face. There's an unbelievably rewarding promise here. The troubled heart is weighed down by both real and perceived difficulties. That's all of us. This is intensified by our perception of them and magnified by the degree that we're mastered by them. So, whether it's a perceived... Now think about this. I want you to hear this. Troubled hearts come into this perceived uh, struggle. 
It's not real in many ways. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. How come somebody's struggling with depression if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil? Because from their perception and their standpoint, the devil's winning. Or they don't even think of the devil behind the scenes. The circumstances are so overwhelming that in my finite human being personality, I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. And so essentially they're mastered by a perceived difficulty rather than a real one. But now the perceived one becomes the real one. Now think about what the Holy Spirit has to do to get us out of these kinds of bondages. And Jesus didn't go and say, here, I want you to go see the, uh, um, the shrink of His day. He didn't say, go find somebody that's going to help you through your mental problems here. He said, I want you to put in this figure the resurrection. The promise that one day I will come again for you. I want you to put that there in the place of whatever you're dealing with. Real and perceived. I want to say this one more time. The troubled heart is weighed down by both real and perceived difficulties. This is intensified by our perception of them and magnified by the decree that we're mastered by them. The key to overcome them is by the real hope that has been put in front of us and as to whether we fully are persuaded of it. We're fully persuaded of it. I have to say that that is the very key piece to this whole thing. If I put a hope in front of you and you're not persuaded of it, you've decided that whatever the pastor says today, it just doesn't quite uh, resonate with me. And what hope does it have to be if after I die, later on I'm going to be resurrected? Later on, what's that have to do with my personal problems right now or what I'm dealing with in the moment? It has a whole lot to do with what you're dealing with in the moment. I love this. It was Francis Chan. It was a message that I'd watched a long time ago, but he had this rope strung out, a long one, probably from about where I am to uh, that wall over there. And he had a piece of that rope that was just taped off on the one end of it. And he was talking about this is your life right now. This is your life right now. And I loved how in the rest of this rope is eternity. And you get stuck caught in what's happening in this amount of time. And I love how James describes it. In the book of James, he says, this life is like a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes. Who's he saying that to? He's saying that to the hundred-year-old man or woman that's lived a hundred years, and it looks like their life has just lapsed so quickly. You know, something that nobody ever really taught me or told me, I remember they saying to me, when you get out of high school, life is just going to start moving fast. But somehow I lost the interpretation that as you get older, it goes by faster. Life just keeps moving on faster and faster. I think that the issue is this, is, is that if we can start looking at this gap, even if it were 100 years, it would be a small fragment of time compared to eternity. Why am I so worried about that? When there will be a resurrection and a final restoration, and all my service to Jesus will be fully rewarded for eternity. I do my very best to describe eternity. Eternity doesn't have seconds. Eternity doesn't have minutes. Eternity doesn't have hours. Eternity keeps going on and on and on and on. If you think about it, there's no trouble that we face. There's no difficulty that mounts, that stems up. If it's only going to be temporal... Now, if I'm going to have to suffer that for eternity, that would be different. But if it's only going to be temporal, then why should I struggle so much over that? Now, that's the rationale behind it. We still need the Holy Spirit to reinforce that. But that's what Jesus was saying. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you to myself and restore that back. You know, a lot of us, probably a majority of us in this room, have had the loss of a loved one. Some of you have looked into uh, the casket of a loved one where the body is there, the spirit is gone. Some of us with heart-crushing blows of people that we've desperately and deeply loved have felt the struggle of what it is to look at them. And we look at our own lives and it's just a reminder of how temporal our lives are. But it, let it be a reminder next time of how eternal we are. And as I think about that, I like to reminisce. I like to imagine that person, given enough time, every ounce of that body will decay and become nothing. 
Every ounce of it will become nothing, as it were. It'll just feed the dust of the ground. By the time the casket has rotted away into the hole that it was buried into, and it no longer exists, still, this thing that Jesus said will remain true. And one day, when the, when the, uh, the trumpet shall sound, every one of those dust particles of a fragmented body are going to come back together again, miraculously, and be restored. And not in the same way of the physical body that we've experienced on a far deeper level. We'll talk about that. Paul talks about it in the Bible. You're like, I don't know where you're going with that. Well, I'm going to the Bible with it. That's what I'm doing. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16-17 says this. Go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn there. I'll give you time. No, just looking at the screen is not turning there. Come on. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to get to know your Bibles. I know, you already do, but that's still all right. We're going to get you there even, even more. How many of you know you can spend a lifetime still learning this Bible and still feel like you've never come to even close to understanding it? First Thessalonians chapter 4. I tried to base this sermon on something that I have ample standard standby on the Bible. There's a lot of people who have speculation behind end times, and I like what Tina said earlier. It's going to be a lot of slap on the heads when we finally get to see what it's all about. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. Give me an amen if you're there. Okay, I think we got enough of us. <laughs> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them who are in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so he says here that the first thing that's going to happen here is that there's going to... there's the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God shall sound. Now, I don't know how many of you struggle to believe for miracles, but if you can't believe God for a miracle here on earth over a physical condition like cancer or diabetes or whatever, you struggle, if you're one of those people who says, I don't know if I can believe. I remember, i got to tell this story. I remember Tom Cox. I've shared this before, but some of you, I'm sure, there's got to be somebody in this audience that doesn't hear. Tom was, he was not a Christian man. How many of you know God gives miracles to non-Christian people, right? He was a non-Christian man. I don't know if he'd ever been in church, but he had been diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer. And... He went to church, and I think this is the first time he went into church, and there were some people who had a touch of God on their life, who believed the Word of God, and had, a, and had the Holy Spirit moving them to pray over him. And they did. And Tom said, he said, I felt the heat from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I could feel just a warmth rush through my body. And he said, instantaneously, I knew that I was healed. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Terminal prostate cancer. He said, I knew that I was healed. It was like you walked into the book of Acts and saw Peter with the lame man at the gate beautiful. Just look at me. Look at me. Such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Every one of us should be owning that right now. It wasn't because Peter was a selected special apostle and God gave it to him only. He gave it to the church so that it could reveal the power of the gospel for today. But he didn't give it to the church just for that. He gave it to the church because it was going to be a representation of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why could Peter say, such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk? Because he was already a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he saw the ascension of Jesus. 
And, and this is what he knew. He saw the foretaste of what was going to happen to him. Jesus was the first fruits, the Bible says. The reason why, one of the reasons why Jesus was resurrected is so that the rest of us could know, number one, resurrection does exist. Number two, that when the Bible tells us, and Jesus says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that you're going to have a day of resurrection too. So when he looks at this guy, he's like, okay, so maybe, I'm not sure, but this is my guess, just put a little bit of reasoning together and throw a little bit of logic in there and just be filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And he looked at the guy and said, wait a second, you're still alive, and your problem is you can't walk. And one day, dead bodies are going to come up out of the graves and raise up and be with the Lord. Which one is harder to believe for? Which one is more drastic? Well, I guess it's the one where we're going to be raised up and our bodies are not going to, our corrupted bodies that have been eaten up are now going to come back together again. So how can I not believe for something so small compared to? So I think one of the reasons Jesus is teaching this to his disciples is because, number one, when it begins to weigh in in a man's spirit, and he has a witness in his spirit that the things that God said are absolutely true, there's no possibility that they could be false, then upon those grounds he begins to believe, or she begins to believe for impossible things that continually remind man that it's going to happen. So when this guy rose up and walked, Peter said, this isn't by my power of holiness. Don't look at this like this is just because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and I've got power to do this. It was because of his faith in Jesus Christ that this man stands here before you whole. Now why is that important? Because right now with, with us and whoever's listening on the internet, you have the same advantage. You have no less the same advantage. Now I'm going to say, because we were praying, do you, I don't know, but I can trust there's God has some miracles for us in this place. And I trust that some of us have been struggling with that. And I'm going to highlight, you're going to have to get over that struggle because you're going to have to get into this one and believe that Jesus is literally going to raise you up. Or He's going to rapture you out, one or the other. So here we have, Christ is the first in the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is referring strictly to the resurrection of the righteous dead. This will be a physical resurrection of dead bodies, instantaneous and simultaneously being made eternal and incorruptible, which will be reunited with their spirit in heaven. And this will be a supernatural event that will be comparable to no other. Never will there ever be anything like this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. This is referring to what is known as the rapture of the saints who are alive at the time of the resurrection. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word rapture. It just says being caught up together with the Lord. Now, I can say that because it's written right here. We just read it in verses 16 and 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So there's no, there's no conflict there. It's an, obviously, it's written there. Their bodies will miraculously be altered while alive from a mortal state to an immortal state. So when there is a rapture, or when there's a catching away, you will, your bodies, while you're in a mortal body, will all of a sudden, and it says in another verse, it will happen in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, in a moment, just like that. And this physical body that cannot take pain, this physical body that's subject to death, will no longer be in an instantaneous moment. Wow. Wow. I just want you to take some time to imagine that. As you think about what's going on in Israel, as you think about what's happening in our world, and you see death, all kinds of death, is this not a time to start thinking about how true is this that Jesus said? How reliable is Jesus right now? How reliable? The resurrection and the rapture are together, one event happening, one right after the other, and this is precisely what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he said, I will come again and receive you to myself. 
Now, I leave you open to interpret that some other way if you decide to, but I don't see that that was Jesus' meaning. What's interestingly is Jesus was saying this to his disciples. He wasn't saying it to a 2023 church in Enterprise, Oregon. He was saying it to his disciples. That was the crowd that he was saying it to. So what that sent, that gives to me is there's a sense of imminence. Now, we got mid-trib, pre-trib beliefs. That's fine. That's wherever you go with it. But I'm going to say there's this sense of imminence. And if that's not what Jesus was talking about, then what was he talking about? To his disciples, I will come again and receive you again into myself. Well, I think that what Jesus is saying is that you won't be alive or you could be alive. Now, that's what's really important is when we think about the eminence of or the possibility. Because he says here, for if we believe in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. So look one verse ahead. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring him Bring with him those who asleep or asleep in Jesus. So it was good for his disciples because even if they never saw the rapture, they were going to see the resurrection. But the question is, was there a possibility of a rapture being caught away with the Lord back then? Jesus made a statement. He said. <clears throat> He said, in an hour which you think not, like a thief that comes in the night, you will hear these thoughts over and over in the Word. And it's said to that crowd. He says it to that, those people then. In other words, from this day forward, treat it as if this could happen at any moment. Live as if any day that I could become, come back to receive my church. In other words, if the historical fact verified by eyewitnesses did not escape you, then His resurrection shows that yours is also valid and you can expect your own. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53. So it's almost like he's saying some, almost the same things, but there's a few things in here that are not there. And notice he's saying it to the Corinthian church just as well as he said to those in Thess Thessalonica. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, 51 through 53. It's like right at the end of 1 Corinthians. Actually, I'm going to read uh, verse 50 also. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corrupt inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So there he lays it out. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So we already heard that in 1 Thessalonians. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And I love her. Let's go to verse 54. We have to. So then, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be, um, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? I love this. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye. Your living bodies will go from mortality to immortality as quick as you can blink an eye. This is distinctly different from the resurrection of the unrighteous. The resurrection of the righteous and unrighteous means that at some point there will be no disembodied spirits of any human being that ever lived. Now, I'm putting that together because if there is a resurrection for all those who are dead, there will be no disembodied spirits. In other words, your spirit will not will finally be Complete. It will be a final, complete reality. So the way God created you will be finalized. Now it's just where you spend eternity as far as that's concerned. I want to just move from this to the eminence of the rapture. Take heed in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 33. Again, I'll give you an opportunity to turn there while I do. Mark 13, 
Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 33. Mark uh, is in between Matthew and Luke. Um, verses 32 and 33. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now, why would he be telling that to them if it wasn't possible to happen in their day? You understand what I'm saying? This is the audience that he was speaking to. So Jesus Essentially, he gave the sense of this eminence back then. And so I think many times, and I've thought about this as, as I've, longer I've been a Christian, I've often thought to myself, if it was urgent then, then how much more now? Now, what I don't know is this. Jesus is basically saying there's an appointed time, but never live as if that's out there another two more years, ten more years live as if it could be happening right now. There is an appointed time, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen at any time. Can you hear that? Help the preacher this morning. Help me out. Is that there is an appointed time, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen at any time. That's what I get out of what Jesus is saying. You do not know the the day nor the hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Pretty powerful thought. Now, when we think of that, that means because of this eminence of that it could happen at any time, that means right where I'm in the middle, mid-sentence, it could happen right this moment. It could happen later on. Now, for those who believe mid-trib is going to happen, you're thinking, no, that can't. Well, then again, then what is Jesus talking about? What is he talking about if this could happen later on? I don't know. That's for you to tell me uh, if that's where you're coming from. But I would say that's the thing that kind of captures my attention. Any time means there is never a time when carelessness can be justified or a moment that a lapse into worldliness can afford us a sense of security. So if you're the kind of brother or sister who believes that that's for the future, there's a later time coming, the Jesus message for us is that you need to be living as if it's going to happen any time. Because you don't know the day or the hour, and you don't have time to prepare when that moment shows up. So there's no security when we're living outside of Jesus, when we're compromising our faith and we're living in corruption. Well, I've got grace. I don't know how you define grace. I define grace as pretty powerful. I define grace as that which helps me overcome and be faithful, not as grace that lends me more opportunity to be destructive or unfaithful in my life. So when he says this, it's not a time for us to sense security when we have relapses. Get back on the straight and narrow as soon as possible. There is no certainty for those who are holding back that they shall have another time more. Now we know this simply because at any day we could die. But how much so much sore than when Jesus could come back at any moment. Any time means that there is a possibility for those who are in Christ who suffer tremendously that they may soon be fully relieved and vindicated right now in this moment. That's why what I don't want to do is I don't want to choose that later on, you know, I'm going through something right now and I'm disheartened by it as if I couldn't be immediately vindicated right this minute. So we become, why do we lose heart is because we feel like this is going to keep on going on, going on, and going on. And that's not what Jesus' message was here. Jesus' message was not that you have to think about as if this is going to keep going on and on and on. I remember as Christmas Day was getting closer as a boy, and I was anticipating the opportunity to open up the gift. And I had in mindset that the day was coming, and I was anticipating it. And you know what? I knew what day it was going to be. But I still felt like I wanted it just as much today as if then. 
And I love the end of the book of Revelations as he says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why would I say that? I'd say number one, because I don't want the world to continue in the disaster that it's in right now. How many more deaths? How much more massacre? How much more terrorism? How much more sinfulness? I don't want it to happen anymore. The other one is, is because I want to be fully redeemed. I want to be with the Lord forever and ever. You can't satisfy the thirst except for to give it full, the full outcome. And I want to see vindication for the righteous. For those who have suffered unjustly. For those who have been abused and hurt and mutilated in all kinds of uh, evils that have happened. I want to see the vindication for it. And that day when Jesus comes, we'll finally vindicate all of it. I love here in first, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, so help me out, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to capture this. The Lord is not slack concerning this promise. So this, which we read, it can happen at any moment, why, are, how, why hasn't it happened now? Why has God allowed us to go through as long as we have and it hasn't happened now? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise because He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Now, why do I need to say this? Because if we view it as this is the imminence, it could happen any moment, then I want you to think about loved ones. I want you to think about your families. I want you to think, for those of you who are parents, I want you to think of your children. I want you to think about those who you know don't have the security of Jesus Christ in their life. Now, This, this thought comes to my mind, is you think of the eminence that could happen in any moment that should stir our hearts. It should stir our hearts of those that we've regretfully and will regretfully continually not to make any advance to try and persuade them or move them toward the kingdom of God because at any moment this could happen. Any moment, things on earth could completely change and beyond that moment, I don't know what your hope is. I don't know what your hope is. So we want to think and pray for as if that could happen at any moment. I want you to think about people in the world who don't know Jesus, and you may not have a strong relationship with, but you don't want them to have any less hope than you have. I don't want you to not have what I'm going, because at this moment, beyond this life, that little that, that vapor of error is not going to last me for very long, and it's not going to last you for very long. And no matter how successful you've been or how happy you are in the moment, that's going to fleet away very quickly. And so that concerns me. And it concerns me more than just the thought of like how healthy you are or how long of a space of time that I expect you to live. It concerns me because at any moment, Jesus could be returning for His own and I don't know if you're going to be there. And many have given us every reason to believe that they're not. Now I don't get to make the final judgment call on that but I would like to say this. If I'm persuaded or you're persuaded that somebody in your life or around you is not where they need to be with Jesus or they're showing less likeliness of it. Like, okay, so they have a pro profession of Christian faith. In some works, they deny Him. And in other works, they seem to be faithful. They kind of go to church here and there. Or maybe they don't go to church at all, but they give to their neighbor. And you think of the good deeds of their life, but you also see some of the other stuff. And the thing that catches us is, what's missing? What's missing? In light of that Jesus says, again, I will come and receive you to myself in an hour that you think not be ready. You hear that the, there's the five wise and foolish virgins. And when the trumpet call came, the foolish virgins were not ready for it. They hadn't gathered up their oil. And so now we're thinking about that for ourselves and for the ones we love. And there's an eminence to get things ready now. And I would say this, I would say this, if you've got sin in your life and you haven't repented of it, 
if you've decided that you're going to live a lukewarm Christian life and throw it all over onto the idea of grace, you have another thing coming. And we need to get things right with God now. Not tomorrow. Now. And if we're not right, how do we expect somebody else to get right? I think that's Jesus' immediate answer for the moment. Is If you really believe this, what stops you from being faithful right now? You know, I find... I find a lot of reasons, and that's why I'm certainly glad I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for those of you who are here in church with us right now. Because this is a part, I would say this, it's a part of our life and our love for Jesus, isn't it? Coming together, being a part of one another's life in service to Jesus, devoted service to Jesus, that's a, that's a great, beautiful part of it, isn't it? I love that. Can you help me preach this just a little bit? It's such a wonderful opportunity to be with the people of God. So when I have, when I invite somebody to come to church, it's not. It's not because, it's because I, I'm afraid you're going to go to hell or I'm afraid that you're going to miss out on, on God's best for your life. It's not just because of those things. It's because I enjoy the pleasure of being with the people of God on Sunday. I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy the exchange. When, when, uh, when somebody moves away, I lose that beauty and that wonder of that fellowship. And I think of it, Lord, that's a tender thing that they get to enjoy with somebody else. So when I think of church, I do not think of, oh, this is our duty, this is my job, this is what I've got to do. Lord, if I'm not taking pleasure in this time to be with the people of God, help me find new pleasure and a new joy in being in the congregation with the righteous. Because if you think about it like this, this is an appetizer for heaven. When we get to be together, this is an appetizer for heaven. Are we enjoying our moments here as we're getting ready to be released to go up there? And I, I was just thinking about this. If... if Right here in this moment, we were just about, Jesus is like the trumpet's about ready to call in just in a few, few more seconds. In a few more seconds, is there anything, is there anything that you need to make sure that it's right with God? Is there anything left? Is your conscience plugging, bothering you in any way? Because if it is, do not, please listen to me, do not wait till tomorrow. You don't know you've got it. I'm sure as any of us could die tomorrow, and as sure as Jesus could come back any day, we don't know that we have that time for exchange. Some of us have been so bothered by our past that we don't think we have enough time going forward to get it all right. You don't have to worry about that if we just get to the cross of Jesus. We get a fresh opportunity to be with the Lord right now. So please hear me. My vote every service and every Sunday is the altar call. I'm begging to get through this service so we can get to the altar call. I don't know that everybody shares the same affection for the altar call that I do, but the reason I have an affection for the altar call is because what I get out of that is there's a, there's a, there's a people who believe that I don't have to do anything other than show up for Jesus. Jesus has the miracle in His hands in a moment. Let me say this one more time. Lazarus is grave. Lazarus was dead. Just remember that. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead four days. Jesus didn't have to have a four-day procedure to raise him up out of the, out of the grave. Jesus didn't have to have a two-hour or a half-an-hour procedure to get him up out of the grave. It just had to be one moment in the presence of the resurrection and the life of God, and Lazarus would come forward out of the grave. We're not just talking about physical miracles. We're talking about spiritual miracles today. So I'm praying that right now that we have, we're urging to the altar, and I'm going to urge you to the altar not just to be up here, but to come and spend some time with God 
and let some of that resurrection life and resurrection power get inside of you now. We're being preached so that our, our faith can be stirred, that God can do it right today. That I, I may be crippled in my emotions, I may be crippled in my mind, I may be praying for my brother or my sister, and I'm expecting their salvation at any time. There's only one reason why we can expect God to do something now rather than later. And that's because Jesus has already been resurrected. And so I'm going to say, let's carry burdens here. Let's bring them so God can empty them. What's the point of talking about rapture, resurrection, and any of that if we're going to go home with any burden on our heart? What's the point? And we got to let go of them and let God get in. So if you'll believe Jesus is the resurrection and you'll just let the Lord in, I believe God's going to do some miracles for us today. I believe God's going to do some miracles. So let's just step in and let the Lord do it. I'm going to ask for our worship team to come up again. I want you to hear this from me. This is a heart of a pastor begging. This is my heart begging in a sense. Would you please listen to me on this? I'm putting nobody at fault. Listen to me. I'm putting nobody at fault if, if there's a need to do something otherwise. But I feel the Holy Spirit tugging on me every Sunday. There's something people are leaving the church and they're not getting. Uh, many of us, we leave the church and we don't get something from God. And all I can say is I feel like the Holy Spirit is rushing in and telling us, look at world events with a new passion to seek the face of Jesus. A new passion, looking forward, not to some future event, but the immediate event that can happen right now for you. We got into the prayer closet this morning, and I just felt the Lord just suddenly begin to stir my heart for it. And we have got to not leave anything on church on Sunday. We can't leave anything here. If you've got a loved one that you've been praying for, then take them to Jesus one more time, but with a new heart of faith, praying for them. We've been praying for people already. Expect some of those miracles to happen at this altar call time. Please, my brothers and sisters, listen to me. If we'll collaborate our hearts together as we finish this time together, you don't know what God has for you in this moment. You don't know. You may be walking out thinking, I've got a roast burning in the oven and you might be missing out on a miracle from heaven or somebody else's miracle because you're being the one standing in the gap for them. But I believe God wants to do things for hungry hearts that are just searching. Lord, please. And if you would say, I don't know. I don't know, but I have this hunch. If you're just like me, Lord, I get into these services and I'm hearing something stir in my heart and I'm just thinking, oh God, I just come to the altar for this reason. Lord, I bet there's a gap that I don't know about and you're ready to fill. And I'm hungry for you to do it. Lord, you haven't revealed it to me yet, but I believe if I come, you will. Now, we can leave in any way we want, but I think that's what Jesus is doing. Oh, everyone that thirsts, come. Come. In the urgency of the hour, in the thought that this could happen at any moment, please come. Come. And let me do a work in your spirit. And listen to me. I want you to hear this one more time because I'm afraid sometimes the music stops and somebody leaves the altar. Would you just hear me on this? Stay in the altar and stay and let God do something and finish His work in you. The Holy Spirit stirs things. You come, you feel dry, and you stay and let the Lord just minister to your spirit. If you're in, in some of us physically, maybe that's not what we can do. But stay in an attitude right where you're at and trust the Lord to minister to you and minister to us together. If we would seek the Lord with an earnestness and stay in there and linger, I believe God's going to do something. One of the best things we experienced in our men's camp this, this year, I loved it. After the worship service was over, after the preacher was done preaching, the people just stayed and they tarried in the presence of God. And God did more for each one of those men that stayed there. And there's just a touch of the Lord in that place. I believe God wants to do that here. I absolutely believe that. And I want to urge it this morning. So if the worship team would come up, I want to pray, but I want you to feel that the sense that the pastor is not asking you to get off your knees anytime too soon. You stay as long as the Lord has you, Terry. I want to invite you even right now, as I pray, I want to invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what the Holy Spirit is doing right now.
There's a tender touch of Your presence here, Lord, if we'll receive it. Oh God, there is something here for us. And I'm hungry, Lord, right now. Jesus, there's an urgency that... Mm. There's an urgency right now that the Lord's saying that if this were the moment, some of us aren't quite ready for that moment right, at the, right now. We need some time in His presence so we can get ready for if this were to be the moment. Oh, Jesus, I pray. Come on up, folks. Come on up and let the Lord refresh you. Come on up and let the Lord refresh you. If it's not your custom, just still let the Lord refresh you as we sing, as we worship you. Jesus, all over this place, I pray those miracles. Lord, I didn't come here because I didn't believe that the resurrection was good enough for everyone here and beyond this place. And there are so many people not here right now, but I'm urging and I'm hungry, Father, that what the Holy Spirit does in this next few minutes, maybe even hours, if you would, Lord, whatever you're going to do, God would feed this community. Jesus, the spiritual restoration and life that happens in our spirit this morning, God, the life that gets inside of us, the repentance that happens here, the deadness that, that does not walk out this door, but that stays here in new life. Lord, was meant to feed this community. God, you don't want us to leave until you've imparted something of yourself in us so that this community can be fed on a mighty scale, Lord, and we can be your disciples to do it, Jesus, such as we have in the name of Jesus. Help us go, Lord, with that. Oh, keep coming. Keep coming, and if you're going to stay where you are, I want you to just really raise a level of faith and pray. Pray with all of your heart for the Lord to do something powerful this morning for us. Oh, He already has, and we give you praise, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah.